to the mother-loving future show hosted by Amber Strange and Jenna Penrose two mothers and detectives dedicated to fully embodying a new paradigm of conscious parenting deeper relationships healing ourselves into radiant health and epic answers to age-old enigmas get ready to get your mind blown because this week's episode starts in three two one Welcome to the Mother Loving Future Show, everybody. Very happy to have you here today. Today, we have a very special and awesome guest, Zachary Murdoch, who is going to be discussing today's topic, which is a sense of mission. Hi, Zach. Hey, Jenna. How are you? So good and so happy to have you on. I know we've been trying to get you on for a long time and it was Mercury in retrograde, one thing after another, but we finally have you and we're going to pick your brain. So thank you so much for being here. Divine timing. Very grateful to be here. It was really, you know, just the blossoming of our relationship thus far. And I'm just excited for the new iterations and this being an awesome opportunity to go deeper in our conversation and friendship. So thank you. Absolutely. Oh, it's my pleasure. And for those who do not yet know who Zachary Murdoch is, because he is an incredible artist, I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. So a consummate musical shapeshifter, Zachary Murdoch is a naturally gifted creative who embodies the definitive spirit of raw creativity. He creates supreme funk, futuristic soul music that inspires personal revelation through off-the-wall fantasy. His lyricism and poetic scripting paint on a universe-sized canvas, and his rhythm and groove reflect desires of the inner soul to dance and be free. In a day and age where unfiltered honesty is in high demand, Zachary Murdoch does so with ease channeling the sun to create something both contemporary and timeless, which is the coolest like bio I have ever read. I really want to meet him. I know. I, I have met him and trust me, he lives up to it. Oh, man. Um, and also, guys, I just want to say, if you are not already following him on Instagram, do yourself a favor, follow at Channel the Sun. It is just the rawest, coolest, most beautiful page out there. So I follow, I am like obsessed with every post. So I recommend it. Thank you. Thank you, Zach. Thank you for being you in this world and for doing what you do and doing it so well. So thank you. Long time coming. I feel like yeah, every morning, you know, I've been waking up at like 3 a.m. the past couple months for some reason with this divine inspiration and yeah just all of the voices since I was a child I know that's what today's episode is kind of about like our sense of mission that you and I both have felt called since young and every day I just keep let trying to let go of yesterday to see the new things coming through so let's dive in Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So first I'm going to hit our audience with a little definition, my definition um, of a sense of mission. So they know what we're talking about. Um, So all of us have a soul mission, a reason for being here, for incarnating at this time of great consciousness revolution, whether we understand what it is or not. Some of us have a sense of mission strongly imprinted in our minds and all of our being is propelling us towards this purpose. This drive in us, or sorry, this drive can 
cause us to become uncomfortable and usually pushes us past the comfort zone into uncharted waters. Those of us with a strong sense of mission at this time could be the ones to finally shake off the shackles of the old and catapult us into the new earth. Mm, I love that. So, um, so yeah, so just talking about and what what we're going to get into is just uh, a sense of mission driving us. And this is something that I have felt since I was a little kid. And I know Zach has shared with me that he has also felt this quite strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't we start off, Zach, with you telling me a little bit about uh, when you awakened to your soul mission, um, just sort of about when this first came up for you and how it's played out from then until now. For sure. I want to hear your story. Oh, thank you. Um, and stop me because I can go on tangents and whatnot. You can always reroute me back to what your soul is looking for in this moment. But I guess I'll say, hmm, it's hard to trace it to the exact beginning, but I can say that I was born, my parents met in an ashram. My dad says that there was a hawk circling them and that he knew that it was me before I was born. Amazing. How do you feel about Hawks now? I love them. And and the a couple major moments in my life, like recently we were out near the ocean, friend and I, and a hawk sat on a fence in front of us for 40 minutes. And Mm. it was like a really powerful day. So, you know, I always think nature and life, we are nature, we are everything is always communicating. It's kind of what James Joyce from the little I understood about him, my, a lot of my favorite authors loved him. He's he's kind of impenetrable to me. But he said that, you know, there's only two kinds of art. There's true art and false art. And anything that is pushing any sort of agenda, even if it's a positive spiritual agenda, is kind of bullshit because the essence of our reality is liquid and ever-changing. And so true art would be like, capturing that fluidity and never allowing the art or the words to imprison the fluidity fluidity of the essence of life and that if we're really good at what we do or awake you don't even need poetry or human language or anything because like i said like hawks or water or electronics are always kind of communicating with us in our own weird ways. But I love Hawks. (laughs) And I just bring up that first, both my parents, my mom helped set the organic standard in America 30 years ago, among other really powerful, revolutionary kind of things, being a single mom. I grew up in New York City with her most of my life. My father was the youngest guy to ever run a movie studio. He was vice president of United Artists when he was 32. And he quickly quit that job because he was so depressed by the bullshit between the money and the artists. He attempted to commit suicide, actually. And when that didn't work, he wrote a movie called Amazing Grace and Chuck, which was a film in 1986 about stopping nuclear war. It's kind of like a modern fairy tale about a little boy who's a little league pitcher who's horrified by the concept of nuclear war and goes on strike. Anyway, that movie was like created with the Boston Celtics and Gregory Peck and all similarly to me, he was able to rally a lot of humans, not for money, but for a mission. 
But of course, the industries were not really feeling that vibe. Not to get into conspiracy theories, but at the time, you know, Hollywood and politics, and it's not necessarily the best message to be anti-nuclear war, I guess. But anyway, I bring that up as well just to lay the stage for how I look back at my life to see these kind of winks and, you know, the fact that I was born to them. They split very quickly. Like I said, they were not, they're not compatible. Uh, They're very powerful, amazing, close to them to this day. And so out of that tension and magic, my own stuff started to form in New York City. I went to Waldorf schools. I My first love was reading poetry and Narnia and the Moomin Trolls. Um, Just my parents reading to me all the time. I just was lit up with this magic that magic's a vague word. I was lit up with this feeling of something more than what reality and humans are just presenting to us as life. And And it kind of seemed to ignite this remembrance in me of something greater, something more mysterious. And I knew that I wanted to communicate that feeling and participate in those discussions with the authors and and artists. And I quickly realized my friends weren't really reading. I don't know if you found that um, when you were growing up, but reading wasn't that cool, I reading, guess. Reading was was cool at, at my school. You know, it's interesting that you say, because Waldorf, you know, my kids are going to start at a Waldorf school too. And everyone's coming at me like, does do kids at Waldorf not read? Like, that's a question that I get asked a lot. So no, we read a lot at Waldorf. That's okay. Weird. This is good to know. I didn't no, know if it was a Waldorf a thing that your friends didn't read or something. No, I meant more like maybe my friends in Waldorf enjoyed reading. I meant more just like my New York City friends. Like, you know, so basically I... I heard a rap song when I was like 10 and it I think it was a Snoop Dogg song and it just lit something up in me. I was like, that's what I want to do. That's how I'm going to express this feeling, these feelings and ideas. And so I started rapping and being a white <clears throat> 10, 11 year old kid who was not from any sort of traditional hip hop background. Obviously it was quite uncomfortable for like, even up to 10 years of finding my own identity first by mimicking artists often who were black and who were from a different socioeconomic just everything just like i didn't know what like (laughs) i'm talking about suvs and listening to nelly and navigator trucks and all this shit like i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about but i did know that i had a a very similar feeling to the energies they were expressing of like being your own boss and not just adhering to rules and bullshit. So that was how it began. And um, yeah. I was just going to ask, like, did people accept that you wanted to be a rapper or that you were a rapper at age 10 and 11? Or did you, did you kind of have to push through like people's expectations? I think it's, it's like, I mean, I was really, I don't know. I I was probably a pretty ridiculous looking guy in the sense that I was like rapping. I even wore do rags at a certain point, (laughs) um, wearing baby blue baggy t-shirts, whatever, just, just trying to find my identity. But the, so for sure, everyone was like, 
rolling their eyes, I guess, but my intensity and my sincerity immediately made people realize, oh shit, like he's for real though. Uh So, so uh although they might not have like, they might've laughed a little bit, they, they definitely saw that it wasn't just some flash in the pan wannabe shit. Like there was something in me that was super intense and fired up and real. Absolutely. So they respected me. And your parents? Um, always the most supportive. There were times for my mom when it got tricky, when I had like gangster rappers all over my wall and I started getting kicked out of school and using weed and alcohol and being a little bit like we got caught stealing one time, my only serious stealing episode, which I'm not ashamed of. I'm glad that it happened because it made me realize how shitty and not this kind of icky thing to be a thief. But anyway, I was just being influenced a bit by by that. And she had some restrictions on the explicit content I was able to listen to as a youth. And so I had like my Fresh Prince and Bow Wow CDs that she bought me. But then in my sock drawer, I had all the super gangster shit and she found it. So it was just that. It was a tug of war of just her being a single mom. And New York City is ferocious. It's amazing. But like right outside your door, no matter what your parenting may look like, it's everything right there. And so I quickly became engrossed in lifestyles that actually were attractive, sort of, just because of the allure of hip hop culture. But I quickly realized, like, I'm not a fighter. I'm not a good criminal because I'm too guilty and too sensitive and too sweet in that way, to be honest, or whatever. I mean, so it was funny, but they always, 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 I mean, my mom helped me produce my first album by paying for this funny Jewish, awesome guy who didn't really know how to make hip hop, but I tried to help him. And it was like ridiculous two white guys trying to make hip hop. But anyway, she's always supported my art. And so is my dad. And without them, I would not be able to have done or do what I do at the level that I've been able to do mm-hmm. without funding from companies, because mm-hmm. this is fully self-funded. self-funded. Yeah. You know, and that is something that is really special in your case. Cause I think in most cases, parents do not support the mission. I know in my, in my case, for example, parents don't support the mission and, um, which could ha- go either way, you know, like ca- having people not support you could cause you to like have so much fire towards it that you just overcome anything or not having parents support you could really knock you down. So it's just interesting. Absolutely. It's both for sure. I think, you know, it's not like they blindly supported me. They just after a while saw that I was stubborn and ferocious and really about it. So, but yeah. And both of your parents are sort of new paradigm for lack of a better word, individuals. Like, you know, they were pressing the boundaries of, of reality, I guess you could say even at that time. And so they might've been more used to having a son like you, you know, I'm sure you chose them for that reason, perhaps. I think so for sure. Mm -hmm. So when did you, when, so continue with your story and tell me when you sort of uh, so you're telling me about how rap was sort of like your first uh, step into music. And so once, so how did it evolve from there? So basically I moved, I mean, I'm probably exaggerating a little bit, but between 20 and 30 times before I was in eighth grade, because my mom and I kept going back and forth across the country and then a lot of moving. So within all that, I was 
making my music. I was finding new producers. I, everyone and their mother, I tried to have manage me. I've tried to have everyone be my manager since I was 10 years old. Oh my gosh. Just because I always wanted to do things together with people I love. Like for me, this really is a family thing and it's been hard to, I don't know. It's just my nature. I want to bring people along. But point is I've been, I was collaborating. I was finding, you know, I put out my first album when I was 13. I put out a bunch of albums by the time I was 17. I went to different schools after Rudolf Steiner. My mom put me in a preparatory school on the Upper West Side of New York, which I fucking hated and I refused to go. And then she found this Shackleton kind of uh, travel abroad vibe school, which sounded really cool. I got kicked out of there. So I had been to two schools before the end of freshman year, ended up finding a homeschooling online thing out of Ojai called Laurel Springs, which God bless my mom, you know, for just adapting educational systems to her son. And then I went to Africa when I was 15 for five weeks with a really crazy cat who brought me and again, God bless my mom for trusting the universe and letting me do something like that. Seriously. And I made an album called Addicted Angels during that time. Basically, I got credit. For, I, I graduated with straight A's with a high school diploma. I've never done math or standardized testing since seventh grade. Um, I wrote a rap album and went to Africa and got like credit for like a whole year's worth. I don't know how it happened, but I graduated completely... Uh, top of the top and then was like, fuck it. I'm out. I'm not doing college. Went to Vancouver where I lived with a music producer out there for a year. Hmm. And I was the youngest guy of their whole crew, but they all really looked up to me in some ways because I was from New York city. So I was like the real deal. I wasn't, you know, a lot of people imitate America, especially New York and LA. So in Chicago or whatever you want to say. But anyway, I had that whole thing going. And after a year there, I got kind of heavy. I was always naturally athletic, but I got I gained some weight. I got kind of sad. And I realized I did want to educate myself and I did want to move my body. And it was, it was like the idea of taking a year off to make sure you know what you really want to do. So you're not just blindly doing things for others. It, that year off made me realize how much I, I wanted my own sort of education. So I went to the new school, uh, which is a wonderful, wonderful college in New York City. And it's kind of an umbrella college. You may have heard of Parsons mm -hmm. School of Design. Oh, yeah. I know about the new school. Oh, you know about the new school. But yeah, so I went there for creative writing. Um, and I also worked at an after school program for four years, all the while making music. I then uh, I actually got signed to a record deal when I was 18 by EMI, which was a major company a woman, Cynthia Sexton signed me, but then EMI like tanked literally a month later. So that was that. Then I met a big, big producer named Illmind, who is an amazing hip hop guy working with Eminem and 50 Cent, blah, blah, blah. Met him. He loved me. We loved each other. Made an album, put that out met another guy who's a great singer named Father Dude. And then I was playing the guy from Vancouver and I was playing Illmind. I was playing Father Dude, all the music I was making with each of them. And Illmind was like, bro, let's start a group. You should pick the members. And I said, yep, that's the members. It's two producers, two singers. So we started a group 
all of them were older than me, are older than me, which is kind of a pattern in my life um, mm-hmm. of, I guess, drawing the respect of elders and not feeling like I necessarily fit in with my peers. That's changing now because I'm, but anyway, I, um, cause I'm meeting people like you and Molly. And well, I think that. I technically am older than you. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, I was born well, in 1983. Okay. I'm 86. Um, but I just mean, we're all gravitating toward each other now. Like my, one of my main business partners is 25 and he's older than me. So <laughs> totally. Um, the age is so not a thing when it comes to the, the soul, you know, it's just exactly. It is a thing for like experience and my experiential yeah, wisdom. Ex- yeah, that's true. But I mean, I look at your baby, your baby rock, and it's just like yeah. he's so old, wise, you know? <laughs> like I can old never old. imagine that he's younger than me, even. You know what I mean? Exactly. 100%. He's, he's much older than us. Yeah. But so I made this group called Smokey Robotic with these three other guys, and it was our vision. And and can I ask Smoke you, your, let me just interject yeah. here for a second. What was, when you were doing this, all this music this whole time, yeah. was there a, um, what was your mission? What was your goal? Like, did you just oh, it's, want- it's actually right, right here. We, we landed at the same point okay. perfectly. So Smokey, the idea of Smokey Robotic came when my friend was singing and I heard him sing a line which I had written, which was smoking, I-N-G, smoking robotic. But the way he sang it sounded like smoky uh-huh. robotic. And I immediately imagined a two-foot robot creature who came out of a jukebox in 1972 to an Al Green song <laughs> who was sent down to earth by the celestial mother and here to remind humans of the light that they have inside of them. And the only way that that could happen is Smokey had to forget who he was. And so it was this mission of him finding the four of us, choosing us to be his voices, and we were his followers, sort of, and that was the mission. So that's always been my mission, whether it's it's to remind us of the inherent magic inside of us, and that's through kindness, collaboration, creativity, and curiosity, to boil it down quite simply, we can accomplish everything. And... In fact, we are hindered by the illusion that we need resources, whether it's budgets or gatekeepers, because with all that bloated excessiveness, we kind of tend to get lost in the tricks and the glamour as opposed to seeing the magic that is all around us. As my father always points out, the extraordinary is extraordinary. So that was my mission. It was like, all of these attempts, you know, I would always invite our audience. I don't call them fans with Smokey. It's like, yo, if you fuck with Smokey Robotic, come and create with us, like create sculptures, paintings. And we had people around the world sending us painting sculptures. To this day, I was on a two-hour phone call this morning with Jason Mayonnaise and Bread, who's insane cartoonist, graphic artist, wizard of visuals. And he's a core member of Channel the Sun. I met him through a contest that I threw with Movado Watches and Smokey Robotic. So that's just been my mission is like, man, fuck the gatekeepers. Forget all the Beverly Hills. I mean, I grew up like hanging out with Demi Moore. I grew up in that stuff. And it's not to say there's anything wrong with them. People are people. Everyone's lovely and beautiful. But it seemed like we were all trapped in this shrug your shoulders like, it is what it is, man. It's just the way it is. You got to, you know, I always hated watching dark, dark content that wasn't created from a place of truth. Like if you're a gangster rapper and that's really your life, I'll vibe with it hard. If it's a dark, scary movie, 
and it's coming from a place to like show the light somehow or the truth all vibe with their heart. But I, I get really upset with the sloppiness of artists. And so, yeah, I've just been this kind of, my dad said that they used to call Socrates a gadfly because he was super annoying to everyone. And I feel like I've been a gadfly to a lot of people because my sense of purpose has always been that thing that I just said with Smokey Robotic is to remind us of who we really are and, and to remind myself of who I really am. And I, the only way to do that that's interesting to me is through art because you can teach and preach and politicize and do all that shit. And I'm not discrediting that we need all of it because we need the scientists. We need the, we all that. But if you think about a little kid before they're aware of all that, what grabs them? It's entertainment, it's art, it's books, it's magic, it's music. So like, that's why my main point of attack to bring the light in is art. And I want to, and, and my vision is not to just be no disrespect to anyone in the world. It's not, you know, but I didn't want to be <clears throat> like just purely pop culture and I didn't want to be just purely uh, kind of hippie, happy, spiritual because the kids in Harlem or the kids in New York, they didn't give a shit to hear about what Rumi or Herman Hesse was talking about. And I wanted to find this hybrid language, which is what I'm doing to this day. And can I ask you, so with this hybrid language of like you mentioned, for example, Rumi or Herman Hesse and Harlem, you know, like that sort of juxtaposition. Are, are yeah. you, um, cause I also have heard you sort of, you know, in some of our other conversations as well, just sort of say, you know, you don't want to be contrived in any way, which I completely understand and, and support you in. Um, but is, so how do you walk the line of, of not being contrived, but still delivering, um, that sort of message? So in the past couple weeks, we've had major changes at channel the sun um, <clears throat> they're actually all a return to the source of where Channel the Sun came from, which is the same idea I had when I was 10, basically, to connect people. And all that is, is like, the industries are dying, <clears throat> the, the current models, the, I think, money, politics, everything's being sh shaken up. So why are we playing their games? Let's show people what cool is. Why aren't homeless people and Lyft drivers making content? Why aren't, you know, why are, why is it just these bloated Soho house friends of friends who are able to have platforms to do that? Because when I talk to artists through Instagram that I work with or anyone I talk to, say we're going to make a music video, say we're going to make a book, a magazine, doesn't really matter, a little post. What we do is we say, okay, what's the theme? What's the idea? What's the truth that wants to be coaxed out? And then <clears throat> we ask each other, how would you do it? And then we trust each other. So if my graphic artist has a vision, I would never micromanage that. I just, I basically, the way I do it is by trusting the art itself. It's hard to explain, but it's kind of just, there's a funkiness that's bubbling all the time that people in the industries, in my opinion, they come and they pluck from it. And then they bring it into their storehouses and they try to manicure it. They're fucking it up. You need to be taking that raw shit <clears throat> and keeping it raw. That doesn't mean you can't do methodical five-year projects and epic compositions and films that require patience and time. I'm not even going full on opposite of patriarchal, but I am saying 
the art needs to lead the monetization and not the other way around. And I just think there's this freedom that's coming in the air right now. And there's this trust and there's this, you know, to me, channel the sun. My biggest idea that I've had my whole life is I'm building the new Facebook and the new Instagram. And it's a creative platform to connect artists and money around the world in ways that have never been done before. I don't think about content. I care so much about every detail of every piece, whether it's a post or a poem, but I think about it more in context of like this grand puzzle because I want to, I want to create hundreds and hundreds of albums and I want to empower everywhere. I, I mean, I was on two calls yesterday with a kid in Argentina for an hour who reached out about our scout film and asked to translate it. And then a woman who reached out about a new EP we just put out and they were just super, I don't know. They were moved. They're like the way you're fearlessly creating right now is waking up their own sense of like, what are, what are we waiting for? Who are we trying to impress? Why don't, if we're scared, let's say we're scared. Um, and I just try to let everyone know that they have like, I don't want you to do what I want you to do. Blow my fucking mind and just know your shit is dope. And don't even think about what you think things want because trends, if you think about it, the only people who are able to actually follow trends effectively, or as if you have the money to put out your work simultaneously. Because if you're trying to play catch up with trends and you don't have budget, by the time your shit may or may not even see the light of day, the trends have changed. So don't play trends, play funk and start with truth and then the truth will grow. So last example, I wrote the book that you read, Mm -hmm. found the editor that I told you about, he's editing it. I have a guy who's creating a crazy cover I went ahead and recorded an EP of music that we condensed into one song, which now five animators want to animate into this five part thing. But it's like an EP in the form of a song, which I look at as the trailer for the book. Like what the fuck is a trailer for a book? That shit is dope as fuck, but it came from, it came from truth. So that, that's where like, I try to if any of that makes sense, I, I try to find the truth. Like what is the message? What is the, the feeling. And then we just let the creative run wild and like get wiggly and get authentically off the wall. Mm -hmm. Totally. No. Yeah. I think, I think that's observable. Absolutely. Um, when you look at, you know, your body of work. Um, but I do think that, you know, you have been, as you mentioned earlier, quite lucky with your parents and having the financial opportunities to pursue like funkiness or, and, um, you know, just raw art above all things, you know? And I don't think like you had mentioned like homeless people, like why aren't homeless people creating content? Like there is very, that's not what I meant. What I meant was why are, why are people with money producing content by mm-hmm. homeless people. Mm-hmm. Why are we paying? Well, then we're going to get into no. some conspiracy theory if we want to go deeper there. So I don't know. But uh, but you get my drift, I think. It's just like, why are we only paying bloated people? Why are, why aren't we having like $50 million movies created by kids in Africa? Because it's a system like- of, in my opinion, it's a system of control because nobody is, can, the masses are asleep. If, if you think of the masses as asleep, the thing that sort of, uh, penetrates the sleeping masses are is like music, popular music, popular movies, um, these sort of larger institutional uh, entertainment 
outlets, you know, and like okay. they know that they have control of the sleeping masses through this. They are not going to give up control of the sleeping masses to kids in Africa with but, really good but, ideas. You know what I mean? But who who is they? Like the there. Well, in my opinion, there is a small number of what I would call the cabal. So it's basically very high level. Like you could call it like the old boys club. It's a high level. They're all friends. They're members of secret societies. They go to Bohemian Grove together. You think the people who own all? It's like there's a class of people which all know each other, and they're in control of like all aspects of industry, pharmaceutical, entertainment, um, military, industrial. And they are like playing a freaking game of risk with the earth. You know, they think that they are in control. And so, so yeah. And my dad, my dad knows some of those guys. He used to work with them. And, and he almost, he had to I, quit and almost kill himself because that's like the level that they're playing at, you know? For sure. But what, but what he did teach me and I've found is I don't know if they are as smart as you or they think they are. I think it's more, if you look at the art that's come out, it's not like pe- big companies aren't putting out revolutionary shit. If you think of the punk rock movements, if you think of, there's a lot of content on Netflix right now that is speaking against the current time. So I don't know, I don't know if it's as simple. I think, well, I think what you're, I think, I think that there's energies that, that, possess people mm-hmm. and but I, I and I think that it's just like the greed and the easiness of fear and giving into that but I think if you can convince because channel the sun's model is not to overthrow the system it's to invite the system to reimagine itself and to recreate together so I have no I mean the enemy is in the mirror that's my idea like Donald Trump is just a reflection of us I saw a really powerful piece which I'll send you after this today of this, I think he's a black guy, but he might be Spanish as well. Anyway, professor saying that like Donald Trump is not the problem. It's, this is a reflection of us. So my whole thing is like, I want to invite though that secret club to realize that they can make more money this way. Their art will be cooler. People, you know, that it's, it's like a, a waking up that's happening. That's what I see. I just think it'll be a chain reaction. And I think our, yeah, that, the enemies are tired of being the enemies and we're all tired of these roles. And now I think it's time to take back our own enemy into our own hearts and take responsibility. And that's also what Channel of the Sun is about is creating. I heard this wonderful metaphor of how life is a million piece jigsaw puzzle. So I guess if we all find our little pieces and we make little pictures out of it and think that's life, well, good luck with that. But I had this image that if we make the pieces out of mirror, then we can reflect the infinity in one. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And that is where I'm hoping that the world goes to. I totally see that vision as well. Um, I see the yeah. system of control falling over. I see the end, the natural end of the patriarchal paradigm that we've been living in. I see it happening. I see evidence. I see, you know, people like you doing their thing, inviting people in. Uh, you know, and not just you, there's like an entire tide of of people with the same mission in a way, but different aspects of it. And um, it's very exciting, you know, I, I think. And it's, it's the best, it's scary too, you know, like I, I'd like to talk a little bit about the fear that comes with this, if you're open yeah. to that, if that's interesting to you. I just, it's so exciting. I mean, it's like, the thing I've been dreaming of my whole life is happening. And then in this no man's land, which I'm so strongly fighting for, 
it's scary to be in that abyss of like, what do you post next? Am I overdoing this? Am I, you know, who do you, when, when you fight off all of the limitations, you become your own guide and that can be scary and something you have to continue to recenter and mm-hmm. yeah, just that fear, you know, I've had to burn, I don't even want to say burn bridges, but I've had to stand up recently to a lot of people I love and just be like, no, <laughs> you know, like, I'm not going to be coming from a place of overthought fear at this point. Like my skill set is <clears throat> constantly releasing content. I like I said I see Channel of the Sun as a future network and a platform, mm-hmm. so Well, yeah, I- being willing to look crazy and to follow that what people might call manic energy and I don't know. It's just, it's not there's a reason why a lot of people don't do this kind of stuff is because it is maddening and can lead you into extreme anxiety and pressure but i think if we keep talking like we're doing right now we realize the similarities and we realize how powerful the breakthroughs are and the rewards and how it's an illusion to be safe in any other way and so we might as well be the knights and the the wizards and witches of our own stories absolutely and i think you know for you you know it's rather specific to be a musical artist i don't think you know, most people necessarily listening to this or most people, their mission might not be to be a musical artist, but I think a lot of what you say can apply. And just to pick out some of the things, just when you're on the cutting edge and you are the, um, you know, you've cleared, as you say, like the blockages and the, and it's just kind of like you are the magician of your own life. And I think that can come in any mission, you know, it doesn't have to be just for a musical artist. And I think, you know, one of the tools we use here at MLF all the time is, is intuition is sense of resonance, you know, like when you don't have anybody to tell you which direction to go, you know, really getting into that gut intuition, which is, you know, a female, in a sense, like a female wisdom. So that's even just getting into the gut intuition is already sort of anti-patriarchal in a way. Um, but then also, um, you know, the, the law of resonance, like what resonates, does this resonate? Does it not resonate? Go towards what resonates and don't look back, you know, and sort of those two laws. Um, and I think, you know, we all are going to have different aspects of this mission, but we're all going to have moments which we are scared, which we feel no one can guide us, where, um, you know, we are the the magic makers of our own mission. So I think that is is super relatable, you know, and like for me, just listening to you, like I, I definitely feel a sense of mission and uh, my mission, I feel, is to shift the paradigm and to do that as effectively as possible. And like, I love what you do. Like, I love it. And I think it's so authentic and it's so raw and it's so real. Um, you know, and it's just, but like, I would personally take a different, um, aspect of the mission. You know, it's, it's not like I'm trying to do what you're doing. You're doing that, you know? So it's, it's great. No, it's we great. all have different aspects. And that's my encouragement. That's my encouragement of, of we can all kind of domino effect and hear the harmony of what our unique notes sound like. So I would never want anyone to do it my way. You know, I love being aligned with you. And like I mentioned earlier about when you were here, when, when rock was just born and just like the video shoot we did for before the internet, which is still going to be coming out and just feeling are you're, you're never met another (laughs) you, you know, and I can't say that for everyone exactly because a lot of people are living like other people, but you're living like you and you're you. 
And it's Molly and I are intoxicated by your, in a positive way, by your real energy. And so that, that's the kind of soup that I'm interested in making these days is like people who are arriving with the respect and the humility, but very unabashedly themselves. And yeah, it doesn't matter what you do or what you are. I think the sense of mission, now that we're talking about it, really what it is, it's a, is it's a call to return home mm-hmm. to yourself. So like by going deep into the isolation of solitude in order to find your mission every day, you kind of have to do that because I could have three cups of coffee and wake up at 3 a.m. and my clarity is gone and I'm freaking out. So I have to recenter and then remind myself of the truth and return mm-hmm. to the moment. And the solitude, a couple quotes, I love quoting people, but I want to say Mary Olive, I don't know who said this, but she, the cure for loneliness is solitude. Mm-hmm. Love mm-hmm. that fucking mm-hmm. quote. Part of my language. Also, Oscar Wilde, to end where you begin and to know it for the first time. Hmm. That's a huge one for me because, yeah, it's like that call, that's God. That's the mystery. That's where we go when we die. That's where we come from. That call is the child in you that was born raw with that fresh truth. But then we go through this adventure of life and the human body experience, and we adapt to social situations, whatever they may be. And somewhere in there, if we're lucky, the beacon of light of our truth is still blinking And if we can then return in and find that on the other side of the whole shenanigan mission roller coaster, how valuable is that? Because it wasn't something we were just born with. It's something we were born with. Mm -hmm. We lost it, we thought, but then it ended up being there the whole time. So that's why it doesn't matter if you're a scientist, you're a farmer, you're you're somebody that there's no name for yet. (laughs) You know, like 10 years ago, there's so many jobs that exist today we Mm -hmm. couldn't even have fathomed. So why are we overthinking how we need to cram ourselves into today's job market. Why don't we create new names, new languages, new, mm-hmm. etc. So yeah, whoever's listening out there, I hope that my particulars of my story are able to be seen in your context if they resonate, because I could have been doing this as a subway conductor or a train model train, you know, maker, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It's just about that vigorous pursuit that Leonardo da Vinci talked about on his deathbed. He wasn't curious about his skills or his talent. What he was fascinated with was what was in him that made him relentlessly pursue that elusive, invisible thing, even through endless failure, devastation. That's it. That is the sense of mission, totally encapsulated. Yeah. I love it. There we go. And, um, you know, one more thing to your point of isolation and solitude. And if you look, for example, you know, at like Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, they all sat alone. The moment that they got the revelation is when they were uh, sitting alone, you know, and and that that is so important because that is the moment when the world is not in your face telling you what you should be, what you could be, what is how to do it. But you are truly just, um, you know, connecting to that part within you and the, the part of you, which is the higher self, which is out there with God and the angels and the spirit in the spirit realms and really getting clarity on what that mission wow. is. 
it makes me think of the word betrayal for some reason because it's this idea like Jung talked a lot about I forget the word Molly if she's listening in the other room conunctium or something it's like the it's the the aligning of opposites that's what he was fascinated with being able to hold seemingly opposing opposites simultaneously so this idea of betrayal when you're talking about Jesus and Muhammad when when we talk about them my mom always says hey Zach not only were these people misunderstood they were literally killed think about it they were fucking killed for their dreams of oneness that shows the ferocity of the yes. darkness yes. which to me is just just a great teacher in disguise so I'm not hating on the darkness but it shows the the threat level zero level of what yes. the fuck's going on and the betrayal is like when you basically, in my opinion, we've set up our thinking where it's like, I'm Zach, you're Jenna, you have kids, I have a kid, we do this, podcasts, music, blah, 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 whatever. But tonight or in this moment or tomorrow, I might wake up and feel this revelation of past lifetimes or remember this mission in a whole, and it might like, bird's eye out of Zach. Zach might not even be interesting to me tomorrow, but am I willing to let go and betray my ideas to follow my truth? So like by G, you know, by going against what I promised Molly yesterday, if that's my, and, and again, that's why you have containers. Like loyalty is very important to me. I don't mess with that cheating shit. I don't, it's like, don't play the, for me, don't, I can't live like that. Cause there is like, the container, but within that container, every day we're changing and we should be encouraging each other's change. And there's a new prayer that I hope to remember to say every night before the three of us go to bed is like every night is a funeral and every morning is a birth and like whatever comes through. So whoever's listening to this, I just hope, first of all, you should read Steppenwolf and Damien by Hessa because they helped me a lot. Um, might be more of a male thing, but really helped me. And no, I was just going to say, Hessa, I think he won the Nobel prize in literature. So I think that's pretty universally awesome. <laughs> oh, he's a fucking angel. He's my guy. I mean, I, I can't wait to smoke a oh, cigarette. Man. In the sky I'll with join him you someday. for that one. Mm -hmm. So he, he talks about in Damien, I'll try to summarize the point here is, is where he, the character is, is becomes saddened by society it's the old myth. You get bored. You, you see through your world. You go to the misfits, the next world that you see. But then you quickly realize that that world also becomes like another society. And so you kind of go back and forth between two now. Neither makes you happy. He says very few people have ever done this. Hesse even went as far as saying he himself was never able to do this. He said Frederick Nietzsche was able to do this, but not many to step into the darkness of yourself and leave behind your books, your teachers, your friends, every fucking thing, which means you might meet monsters like Carl Jung did in the Red Book. You might meet angels. You might meet things that are so far in the future or in the past. There is no fucking shred of mental human capacity to even fathom what they are. If you're willing to do that, you're in for a ride because how are you going to go back and tell your wife or your husband how what you just saw mm -hmm. when there's no words for that? Psychic communication. So there's a – Just hope for psychic communication. <laughs> for sure. For sure. I mean art, art artwork art, yeah. for me. But like, still it's imagery. like even with art, it's so <laughs> metaphorical. But I like that, psychic. 
I like that. I agree. I think the trees and the water, I think they're languages that far surpass our blah, blah, blah. And this morning, and anyway, so my point is don't, if you're listening, like, don't, let's not even call it betrayal because I hope we all encourage each other to grow and grow and grow. And if I'm clinging to what you were yesterday or what I was yesterday because that was convenient for me, come on, get the fuck out of here. It's part of my language, but I just feel like the reason I have to curse like that is it's such a heavy guilt-laden cultural thing of like you're letting people down. You know what? You're actually letting the universe down by not following your true song. That's a that's a really great so, point. I That is something I feel and I grapple with a lot, you know, like just feeling like I, my, my following my mission would let people down in my life. Like my parents, you're my mom or something, you know? Yeah. We got to kill, we got to kill. My mom's a therapist and she tells her My mom's her a therapist people, too. You got to kill. Crazy. You got to kill your parents in your mind, metaphorically, because in your mind, that's not your mom. That's your, your mom in your mind. Your mom is separate. Uh-huh. So kill that shit. Yeah. My mom even goes as far as saying, imagine them like jumping off a cliff, like literally oh visualize gosh. them. And it's not an, it's actually like a healthy. It is. In my I, opinion, I agree. We're also, it's, yeah, it's like natural, man. You got to kill the idea of a parent because if they're good parents, they know I'm not your parents. Uh-huh. Like the, the great mother sky parents. and father, mother earth and father sky. Exactly. Um, Totally. But that is so wise of your mom. My mom is a therapist. She would never tell anyone that. And, um, (laughs) but like, it's also like our parents that, that indoctrinate us into mm, the illusion really, because they think that, that this is how you have to live. You know, it's not even by any fault of their own other than just, just, just non-awakening, not being awakened to it. You know, it's like, it's a hundred percent. It's a, it's a, uh, there's a thing called the egg by Andy Weir. It's a short story. I posted it on the story recently, but you should read it. It's like one page. Everyone listening should read it. You can just Google Andy Weir, the egg. And it's this thing where a man dies in a car accident and he comes to and he's in this void and there's a man next to him and the man turns out to be God, but God looks pretty normal, just like a dude. And he, and they have this great talk and the end of it, basically God tells him that he's going to reincarnate as a 1500s Chinese peasant woman. And he's like, wait a minute, I'm going back in time. He's like, yeah, well, time doesn't really work like the way you think. And he says, uh, well, what's the point of life? And God's like, are you fucking seriously asking me that cliche question? He's like, well, it's a good question. And God's like, well, your mind could not fathom it. But safe to say that I created the earth for you to mature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he says, oh, so for all of us to mature, humans. And he says, no, just you. And the guy's like, wait, what? And God says, there's no other humans. It's all you. Every human on earth is you. It's one person. And he says that this earth is a God fetus, an egg waiting to hatch, and that there are other worlds where gods come from. And someday we, on planet earth, God baby, too, will be born into being a God when we finally mature and realize we are all cells of this God together. And I just love that metaphor. That there's no one else here. Like I'm talking to myself right now through – Myself right now. It's so beautiful. And that resonates with me totally. I love that. Love that. So within that, you know, like 
my, I have a song called Sane Advice. And the whole point of that song is there's no sane advice, just melody. Like every day it changes. Today's sane advice is probably tomorrow's downfall. Absolutely. Like, I mean, there's so much that, evidence of that. That willingness to betray our blueprints. Yeah, I know. You know? Yeah. And yeah. And when we choose to go outside of those prescribed blueprints and make our own, we are redefining reality. We are redefining, you know, the earth. So it's exciting. Absolutely. It's so exciting. And um, it gets overwhelming for me back to the fear of just being in a body, um, getting too inspired. But I'm lucky, like not drinking five years now and all of the iterations of my bands and my, not my bands, but the bands I've been in and the projects, I feel that I have the most powerful little nucleus of a family, um, all of whom you know and we'll get to know even more. And Thank you're you. included. I love in that. all of and, your all of your crew. Yeah. Like they are so awesome. Oh my god. Yeah. So we're here. We're building our studio in Venice, our podcast studio, as well as our music studio. We're gonna buy a printing press at some point. We're developing apps. We're just gonna start creating and letting it fall where it may. And that's what works for me. I don't know other people, but just finding what works for <clears throat> you. And I think there is like a great shift in the energy specifically right now in the world of mm-hmm. out with the old, in with the new, an invitation to lean into superpower childhood. Yeah. Superpower. And just like in that God fetus <laughs> metaphor, it's like it's there's a time when the God fetus is going to be born because like the, you're pregnant for nine months. There's like a, a gestational time when things blossom and bloom. And why it's so important that we're in that stage now in order to achieve all of these missions, because back to what you said about Jesus, Muhammad, it's like not they stood for the mission. They stood for the truth. They stood for the light and they were killed for that. You know, so it's like in different historical moments and timelines, this would not be possible. This blossoming would not be possible. So just grateful. Totally. Because they're alienated. That I guess maybe with technology. Beauty of technology, beauty right? Of it it, it uh, connects the 99% to the tool. 99%. It's a great tool. You know, I love what my friend who created Mind Massage, Alex, I don't know if you're familiar with Mind Massage, but they're a hypnotherapy music. Amazing. We produced an album with them. He's my brother. We have the company Zyko together. Oh, nice. I love that. I got to get my hands on some of that. We got to make you Zyko and for your amazing family. But we, uh, he's a kind of crass, British, hilarious, wise, old young man. And he would always just say things like around technology. He's like, yeah, we're just immature with it. We haven't matured into it. He, he always takes away the evil power that anything would have, which I love. Like money's not evil. Money's neutral. You know, phones and technology is not evil. It's neutral. It's like learning to use them in new ways. And uh, this morning I put out a new song called Moon Language, which I've been wanting to release for a long, 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 long time. My favorite, one of my favorite expressions ever. But the idea of the song is an invitation for the world to literally create a new language called moon language, which would be a constantly fluctuating and blossoming, growing language. I don't even know what that would look like yet, but it would be like symbols and different expressions. And I've always thought like, imagine if the Bible was Wikipedia that could be constantly updated throughout. Well, that's kind of what's happened and and not for the best of the Bible. You know what I mean? Like when King James got his hands on that and translated it, not so good. Totally, totally. 
Well, yeah, you you know, it gets tricky. The the illusion is to be respected. There's gravity and beautiful. But no, I know what you I know what you're that, trying to say. I kind of tangented off that. I'm being vague and more yeah, of course. You would need to figure out a setup of what that would look like and certain people to check and balance the content. But just instead Static. of being like, This is what God said to me. Exactly. This is what God said to me, you say, This this is what God said to me. What did it say to you? Just more of a an awareness that we all have our own unique relationship to the mystery and how dare any of us say that our way is the way like any guru who calls themselves a guru me to me oh is laughable. Totally. Like, like don't call yourself a guru. I mean, I don't even, whatever it is, what it is. I just think that it's such a crazy thing to truly commit to what, the message that Siddhartha's in them found you, I don't know. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta feed a lot of different wolves inside of yourself and balance each and commit, you know, cause I do want to make money and raise a family, but I've already committed to, I'm never letting need for money dictate what my spirit's going to do on earth. So I got to have my wolves have like a nice little wrestling match and we're going to figure uh, exactly. it out. Exactly. <laughs> and you have to stay true to what's true for you. You know, for my wolves, I have no qualms with being like, um, you know, I think for me, like maybe I'm not an artist, but like I, I am a person with a mission because yeah. I have a very, like, I do want to, um, you know, wake the sleeping masses. And so that's sort of all I care about. I don't care about producing art as much as waking the sleeping masses. You know what I mean? Um, but, but it's just all very fascinating and we're all interwoven. And I know that everyone listening probably has, uh, you know, their threads of the grand tapestry that are meant to be woven in together for us to, you know, wake up the God fetus to <laughs> wake up the sleeping Absolutely. babies. So Absolutely. And for Channel the Sun, I'll just say anyone listening, like we're ever evolving and we are always looking to collaborate with everyone, um, especially people who disagree <laughs> with us, if we even are saying anything, because I don't know what there's to disagree <laughs> with exactly, but I'm sure you could find some stuff. But whether it's Donald Trump to some dictator to a KKK member to whatever where we want to talk to you we really we're here to try to build creative bridges to show similarities between people and to understand where we're all coming from and no more angel devil nonsense um it's no more black and white it's not very interesting to us to me the black and white is getting old and so please reach out in any way through instagram is the best but yeah we'd love to have you uh, people on the podcast or to create music with us we're writing a play right now that we're producing in venice that will be a short film and an album accompanied with that called magic suffer love amazing um so tell it tell us where on. they can we specifically find you so you're at channel the sun is there anywhere else that that yeah instagram that's my favorite thing i mean because i run the instagram and i'm on there every day posting a lot a lot that's like my sketchbook for my soul um so that's the best channel the sun on Instagram, channelthesun.com. And then soon our apps hopefully will be launching as well. And, and guys, um, like this is an exciting yeah. group to follow along with because they're constantly just pushing the boundary, doing new stuff, like just exciting <laughs> new stuff all the time. So really fun people to follow along with. 
much to the dismay of people trying to monetize. It's us, all going to yes. come into perfect perfection, you know? And it's also like part of your exactly. mission to have been born into a family that had financial means that would allow you to do this without having to worry Maybe. about money. And that's part of your Maybe. mission. And like, that's beautiful. And that's part of the jigsaw puzzle, you know? Totally. I mean, I've had to worry about money, not to be like, oh, no, I'm not just spoiled because I recognize that I've been very blessed, be, believe me. But I have landscaped and done construction for 20 years. And to this day, my ankles currently, I can't walk because I tore ligaments. But to this day, I work 20 to 30 hours a week scrubbing toilets and vacuuming and really? landscaping. And, and oh, yeah, I've been doing that my whole I mean, I work for my money. I manage the property uh, we mm-hmm. live on, which is my mom's property, but I never, uh, well, you- <clears throat> I was never, I was never given a golden spoon, so to speak, e- even though I was allowed to do stuff, I still, yeah, I've had to literally. And scrub. I just know from your attitude and from your heart that there's no part of you that's spoiled or entitled at all. Do you know what I mean? I, I just meant that as For like. Sure. Like I just meant that as we all have um, our unique situations and our unique situations are part of our mission and why we chose our families and why Absolutely. we, you know, chose these, these specific bodies. So it's all part of it. That's, and that's all I meant to. I didn't mean to sound, I wasn't, I wasn't taking it that way. It was more for the totally. listeners to, to realize that it's not like my situation is one in a billion, although it is unique to me it's kind of more of the attitude of exactly what you just said, which is if you look closely at your life, there are, there are whispers from the universe and everything you need is right there, whatever that may be. It might not be what you want, but what you need is is right there. That is it. Well, thank you. I know we're running out of time. So thank you, Zach, for coming and talking to us and um, telling your story. Um, I have a little invitation for our listeners, which is, to our listeners, what is your mission? Do you have a sense of mission? If if not, meditate on it. If so, take small steps in the direction of your mission. Um, wow. So thank you guys for tuning in. Please leave a five-star review on iTunes, share this episode, and make sure that you are subscribed um, so that you don't miss an ep. Send us some topics that you're interested in, and we're always happy to, to include you know what you want to hear about. So Thank you so much. And it's in love and gratitude that we bring you this episode and in every episode. So thank you. Yeah. Can I do one thing? Yeah, go for it. This is the time. So my friend Gianna runs a company called Quilt, which is a women's entrepreneurial group. She founded it. They just became very successful. Um, She's been working on Honor the Moon with me. She's actually on her way over here now. Yesterday... She's dope. I'll connect you guys. But anyway, yesterday I received a letter in the mail from her and she bought a typewriter and she's been typing up poetry and I wanted to leave us with a little poem, very short, from Gianna. It's called Pressure. No shape, no color, but the smell of sweat and a heart unmet. Do not be under this cloud constructed by them to create storms turning us into unknown forms of doubt, confusion, and darkness. Float above where you can see the cosmic bee, that real pressure gives birth to life, transforms moths into butterflies, raw clay into art. Dig deep, 
claw at dirt. Unearth self-worth, swallow the pressure whole. Let it explode inside of you. That's right. You can swallow an atomic bomb and only burp. Wow, that was amazing. Thank you for thank you for no, that. So shout yep, out no diamonds all. without pressure. Of course. Um, you're it. the best. Jenna, you're the best. I hope to do this forever and ever and ever in person and across the world. And shout out to all the everyone listening. Totally. And really yeah, grateful for really you. Grateful. Thanks. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. We'll talk soon. Absolutely. Talk real soon.